So, Trent, what have you been eating today? Interesting story. Um, Today, I was at a flea market, and I exited the aforementioned... uh, I don't know, there was like a big like banquet hall with a bunch of people and they were selling their assorted trash. And then I walked out to the parking lot and I was going to my car. And in between me and my car is like a football field length. And in front of me, the only obstacle is these two ladies. And as soon as I come into view, they're hollering at me and they're like, come on over here. And so I, I went over. Uh, mostly because I I had to um, in order to get to my car because it would have been pretty obvious if I tried to take like an alternate route. So I uh, put my head down and and walked over and they were selling a product. And usually at this, um, at this flea market, there's a lot of like outdoor vendors, but today it was raining. And so these two ladies are just like there in the pouring rain under their little tent, very persistent, that's that's good business. And so I walk over because they've really left me no choice. And I was like, all right, you have you have 15 seconds. Like, give me your pitch. Like, sell me on whatever this product is. And it was homemade crumb cake. And I was like, okay, um, tell me more. And they named off all the flavors and they seemed pretty enticing. So um, the one, so one crumb cake, uh, Partha, I'll... One crumb cake was about, like, the size of my face, which isn't very large, um, if you know anything about my face. Um, but it was $13, and then two were 25 and I was like, no offense, but, like, this crumb cake is already, like, really expensive. So, and they were like, we're going to warn you now. You're going to regret it if you only buy one. And I was like, we'll have to... I'll have to take that risk because I'm not the kind of guy care, just ready to part with $25. So I bought one. It was like a co- it was like a gourmet coconut crumb cake. And I brought it home and I ate it. Well, I ate a, a sliver and parth. Look at my face. It was like the best thing I've eaten in like several years. And the tragic part is that they were only there today, and their bakery is based out of, like, upstate New York. So if I, like, they hooked me, and now it's inaccessible, and I am going to have to drive, like, several hours for more. And they were right. I should have bought several. So is crumb cake? Yes, the remains of it are upstairs as we speak, and to, it's going to be taking up the majority of my brain power throughout this podcast. It has cast some wicked spell on me, and um, it's it's all I think about. Have, have you have you been eating? Or do you have any questions before we move on? Or no, I mean you. I know. It's, I could see your face. You were you were a happy boy. It was an elaborate description. Um, Parth, have you had any uh, eye-opening bakery experiences today, or is that just me? Not, not any bakery experiences. I had um, Thai food today, for whatever that's worth. Oh, um, some pad Thai, chicken pad Thai. Wait, is good. Thai is Thai food from Thailand? Does that does that check out? Does that hold any that, water? That, the the land of Thai, yeah. Got it. Okay. Geography quiz. Where is Thailand? 
Um, just give me like you know, a region or tell me like the like Asian. Country. It's Asian. I, I agree. So, um, I would say somewhere east of. I mean, it could be west of us if you keep going west. Well, if you go east or west of us in either direction for long enough, yeah, I'm sure you'll reach. Yeah, Thailand. that's well, yeah. But I that's mean, I'm not that's rather imprecise. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I had think it's an chick- island nation. Is that wrong? I will tell you that right now because I know this and I'm not searching it up. And I wasn't. It's a. It's an. It's located at the center of the Indo-Chinese Peninsula. Uh, so it's by China. Is that what that means? It's near China. Yeah. Yeah, because I only like vaguely know the whereabouts of China. Because I know, um, I know, um, lots of, uh, mo- most of the people, a lot of, a lot of people in Thailand migrated from, um, southwestern. China. The eastern hemisphere is all a blur to me, if we're being honest. Mm. Does Even... that include Europe or just um, people that don't look like you? Uh, well, I have to pay respects to my great ancestors of uh of eastern europe um but mm. beyond but beyond that i just uh haven't taken the i well i i've been to europe as uh, middle class white people do in their free time but i'm yet to visit any of the other continents mm. you i've been to europe i've been to which countries I'm going to sound like an asshole here, but... Yeah, um, you already do. Okay, well, I've been to Italy, Spain, Greece. Um, was this all in one in one trip? No, I went to I went to Rome when I was like six. Mm-hmm. And then I went to um, Spain in second grade. I went to um, uh, France in fourth grade. I went to um, Greece in going the summer into my 11th grade i went to so you're Italy what you're what again. caused the economic crash in greece is you went there uh, and you bought so many so much like tourist knickknacks and then you left and then there was a huge there was uh, nothing there fallout yeah uh, i won't i won't say or I there or the you you bought up the supply and there was no more mm-hmm. well you just don't want to claim responsibility well i i'm you don't want the Greek government I'm not to come after you. They're dangerous people. The the economic crashes I may or may not have caused. Um, how about uh, let's just let's just cut to the show. Cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about movies. Each week we discuss a different film and hopefully have an interview with the crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience. This week, we're going to talk about John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. And with us, we have Keanu Reeves' stand-in and photo double, Vince Hickman. The synopsis IMDb gave me is, John Wick is on the run after killing a member of the International Assassin's Guild. And with a $14 million price tag on his head, he is the target of hitmen and women everywhere. I'd say that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, that's more or less what happens. I find it weird. Like, you would think that, like, hitmen should encompass, like, 
assassins of all genders. It's weird that they had to specify like, hitmen and women. Like, mm. I, I know that it goes back to the conversation of like actor and actress, right? Mm. But I know some people are advocating for just like all people who serve tables are just waiters, or and so mm. on and so forth, because it's kind of like a needless distinction. Let's um get some gender equality in the assassin business. Yeah, Parth, way to advocate. Um, well, here to talk about John Wick 3, um, we're going to give you guys our interview with Vince Hickman. He was a super awesome guy, um, really forthcoming with a lot of stuff. He's worked with a lot of interesting people. See, um, Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Keanu Reeves, Tom Hanks. True. Guys, stay tuned. It's a quality interview with uh, Vince Hickman, so let's cue it. Yeah. Hello, everybody. We're here with Vince Hickman. He's an incredibly talented artist who's worked in several different departments in films. He's worked with some incredibly prolific artists such as Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, Steven Soderbergh, and he's worked as Keanu Reeves' stand-in for our film today, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. I'm incredibly excited to be talking with him, so welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Pleasure to be here. Well, th thanks for coming on. So our first question was we did some research, and it says that you worked at the Pentagon as a naval intelligence specialist, then on Wall Street, and then created a successful internet company. Can you go through the process that got you to where you are today in the film industry? Uh, sure. It uh, certainly wasn't a, a planned one. I kind of uh, found my way into Hollywood. Uh, out of high school, I uh, joined the Navy and found myself as a naval intelligence specialist that eventually was stationed at the Pentagon. And uh, after uh, meeting my wife and getting married, I ended my naval service, uh, moved to New York City, and had a typical New York experience. Uh, I first worked on Wall Street for a few years using some of my military background uh, to good use. And uh, as many people in New York uh, do, I found my way into the arts. Uh, I ended up working at a fine arts uh, gallery, running that for a number of years, uh, found, discovered photography, uh, fell in love with video, started experimenting uh, with short digital films, uh, you know, 10, 20, uh, 10, 15 years ago. And uh, as sometimes happens in New York, uh, so a casting agent had seen a short uh, digital short that I had done and uh, asked if I uh, was available to do some work on a, uh, on a television show. I believe the uh, short that I was working on was a, a surf video that I made. The role was as a surf instructor on the uh, USA Network's television show, Royal Pains. It uh, wasn't, wasn't that bit significant of a role, but I had a blast. It was my first time on set. And um, yeah, every couple of weeks, someone would call me back based on the last job that I had. And one, one gig led to another. And I've been a member of SAG since 2011. So uh, I certainly found a little spot for myself in Hollywood. That's... Um pretty cool i mean it's not a path most people generally go down um, yeah. not uh, at which all is, which is very interesting um and we started this podcast because there's all these different jobs in when you work on a movie that i feel people don't really know about sure. and so one of them that i find interesting is the job of a stand-in uh, which is what you are credited as um in the john wick trilogy for keanu reeves 
So what we were wondering was, what would you say would be a job description of a stand-in and any things you would want the public to know that they may not know about that job? Sure. Uh, Again, uh, having been a huge television and movie buff all my life, um, before I worked in the business, I had no idea that a stand-in or uh, an old-fashioned term, a body double even existed. Uh, In the traditional sense, the, the lead actor or even a supporting actor sometimes isn't available to the director or the cinematographer for all the requirements on set. And uh, if you use John Wick as an example, you know, you'll see the scene of John Wick or Keanu Reeves delivering the line, but you know, uh, all the action sequences, all of the, him getting into a car, him going down a hallway, there's any number of scenes where it's very, very complicated to get that, the preparations done for the production, Uh, camera, lighting, uh, especially with an action scene, you know, what lens is the uh, cinematographer going to use? There's all these reasons why they need the, the actor there in order to kind of rough it in. And, you know, especially on these big pictures, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves, is, his time is much better spent than hanging around, making sure that the lighting's just perfect or, you know, what lens are they going to use? So that's what a stand-in is used for. Uh, stand-ins used, uh, usually we get there, we're some of the first people that arrive on set, maybe the director of cinematography, a lighting guy and the stand-in, and they just kind of walk through what's in the script for the day. Uh, John Wick enters the bar, uh, looks around, sees the bad guy, approaches, grabs the pencil, whatever the scene is, just kind of walk through it. You know, I, if I, as his stand-in, I'd get in the doorway, the cinematographer would say, all right, let's go in action. I'd come in, just get an idea, make some notes to his assistant. You know, maybe we'll get this lens, we'll see what's going on, put a, you know, a light source out of the window, uh, you know, just kind of just, just roughly block in the scene. And, um, you know, that goes on with more complexity and more of working members of the crew as we get closer to, to shoot time. So that hopefully the goal is, is once Keanu walks on set, fully clothed, ready for a rehearsal, I've kind of got it all worked out for him. It's not going to take him an hour to do something. He walks in, you come in here, you stop there, grab the gun, whatever it is. He does his thing. And, um, if I've done my job, I've saved them a lot of time. And, you know, it's, it's as fun as it sounds. So are you only like, do you ever see yourself in like the final cut of the movie? Like, are you filmed with shots that Keanu's face isn't in? Like, are, will it be like your shoulder and then over the shoulder or you walk? It could be, it could be. And that, and that I alluded to that earlier, in addition to the role of a stand-in, there's also a position called photo double or a traditional body double, if you will. I played both roles. The stand-in doesn't need really to look exactly like Keanu Reeves. Uh, it doesn't even really need to look close. So I guess the most important thing that for a stand-in is, is that they're approximately the same height. And, you know, again, it's, it's for, you know, looking for a male form coming through a window or, or coming through a doorway or coming across a room. It doesn't need to be that specific. A photo double, obviously, someone that, that normally... They have the exact same body measurements. They fit exactly in their clothes. And, you know, a lot of times what they'll do is this Keanu will come in or I'll do the as a stand in. I'll rough the scene out with the director and the cinematographer. Keanu comes in. He does his scene, delivers his line. And as soon as he's done exactly what he has to do, he goes ahead. They, they wrap him to go on to the next set or maybe perhaps he wraps for the night. I go come in, grab maybe the jacket off of his back, put it on. Uh, hopefully my hair looks just like his or they wig me and then they put the camera behind me mm. and I, and I'll, and I'll do that. Those scenes that you don't really have to, to see his face. Um, are there scenes? Sure. Um, I've been a photo double 
for a number of projects, um, not just with John Wick, but with other, where literally the the lead actor comes up and says, you know, okay, let's go, let's get out of here and go rescue the dance, you know, go rescue the girl. And as soon as they turn away and they cut to the wide shot, the shadowy hero that's running off in the, into the distance isn't Keanu Reeves. That would be me. But then as soon as they cut back, it's him. In um, some of the more complicated fight sequences or driving sequences, uh, in addition to a stand-in and a body double, there's a fight double, there's a driving double, there's a horse double. Uh, in any one sequence, there could be five different males depicting John Wick that's just cut, 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 cut. Um, it gets pretty complex. So hopefully we're all about the same size, same body weight, and uh, rarely do they have to you know, deep fake someone's face or anything like that, but they can, they have at times. Uh, Keanu's, Keanu was so accomplished and so physically fit. Most of the time he would do everything and they would film him do everything. Then they would wrap him and let him you know, do something else and maybe they would cover it a different angle with one of us that they didn't necessarily need to face or they could, you know, just getting up off the floor and like, you know, hobbling out the door or something like that injured. They wouldn't need him for that. They would use a double, a body double or a stunt double and um, just freeze him up. You know, it's a, it's a complicated, sometimes there's two or three units shooting at the same time and he's leaving one and going to be whisked to the next one. So that it's just a very coordinated machine of, you know, trying to get a hundred shots in, in a, as quickly as they can with, you know, using his time as wisely as they can. It's, it's, it's fascinating to be a part of. And um, yeah, it's something that I not having not worked on those sets before I had no idea how complicated and, you know, how many doubles that they would use in, for any major role, especially the, uh, the action related ones. One of the things we were wondering was um, how you personally got involved with the John Wick series um, and what that story was like. A lot of luck. Um, you know, especially in the world of, of stand-in, not so much with body doubles, but with stand-ins, um, it's not uncommon to have the producer's nephew, you know, or someone's friend mm. or relative gets those great gigs. You get to hang around with, you know, the, the lead for a couple weeks. Um, I had previously worked with the second, the second assistant director on, on the John Wick series, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Marks. Um, mm. I had worked with him a number of times over the years in a number of different projects. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of every time he has a big, big job in New York, I try to get on it and hopefully and it's, you know, uh, if he's looking for someone to to fulfill a role like this, um, I've I've luckily over a number of years been uh, made a short list. I worked with him on uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, that was really the first movie that I worked with him on. And uh, got the, a recent, lot of, the recent one, the reboot, the, uh, the reboot nice. that was in. Yeah. And uh, I was one of the uh, the Foot Clan ninjas. So they sent me to Ninja awesome. School at Steiner Studios in Brooklyn. And um, because I had some military background, uh, I'm not sorry to get off on a sidetrack. Um, no, please. I, they were um, they asked if anyone of us of the prospective Foot Clan ninjas had any military experience. So, of course, I raised my hand. There were only a few of us. And they said, does anyone know how to march troops? So mm. I kept my kept my hand raised, having still remembered uh, boot camp. Uh, so the military advisor said, all right, son, go ahead and teach these guys to line up and see what you can do. So it, was, it didn't take you know, these were all pretty smart guys. Took them up a couple minutes to teach them how to uh, line up in ranks and dress right, dress, you know, face right, and marched them all around the parking lot at Steiner and to a company halt right in front of the director. And uh, yeah, at, by that point, I think I made my name uh, with these guys. And uh, so I got to bounce around with a number of projects that he had worked on. And again, him working with John Wick, I, I worked as a photo double in the stand on the first one. 
And the second one, I didn't work as much as some. Again, they had so many of us at times. There was one uh, gentleman by the name of Matt Kerr. I've worked with him for a number of years on a number of projects. He, he worked closely with Keanu in the first and the second one. I was kind of his backup. Going into the third movie, I kind of took over as the principal. I think Mac had some other opportunities he was taking um, advantage of. So luckily, I got to work every day as, as Keanu's main stand-in and photo double. And uh, yeah, got to have, have this great experience. So we were wondering how long were you on set for John Wick Chapter 3? And was that amount of time like standard for the other features you've been a part of? Um, no, it's the longest one most wonderfully long gig I've ever had um, because there were so many scenes with just Keanu in it. Mm. I, I worked almost every single day. Uh, let's see, 2018, it was early summer, May, June, July, uh, dipping into August. Oh, geez, uh, you know, that's like, a long schedule. <laughs> yeah, it, it was amazing. And that, again, that wasn't all me. Um, I think we started, we did all the New York stuff and I towards the end they left to go to Morocco which I had nothing to do with. And that would have been a nice, nice uh, trip, but some other lucky fella got to, to stand in for him over there. <clears throat> but, um, but the New York set the New York shoot was most of it. It was based out of gold coast studios and Beth page, New York. That's where all the sets were shot all over New York city. Um, the days were incredibly long, uh, 14, 16 hours a day, five, six days straight day or two off. Um, yeah, I mean, every day you cursed having to get up out of bed, but you never wanted it to end. You know, you just knew how amazing it was, and you were a little part of history if you loved this sort of thing. Yeah, so, no, that that sounds super awesome. Um, amazing. I mean, working every day on set, and it, it's interesting that you said that you are one of the first people as a as a stand-in or a, a photo double. Um, you're one of the first people to get on set. Um, and you have like a fairly, it sounds like a very, fairly intimate, um, working relationship with the actor you're doubling for and, uh, the director. And I was wondering, uh, what your relationship, uh, generally is with the director and maybe specifically on John Wick three, how that, how that sort of went. Sure. Um, it's, it's always a tentative one. Uh, this, this is a very unique environment working on the John Wick films. The d director on John Wick 3 was a gentleman by the name of Chad Stileski. I'm sure you guys already know that. Um, mm -hmm. he, he is famous for not only working with Keanu Reeves back in the Matrix movies as his double, but in addition to being a director the last 10, 20 years or so, he and a partner have developed a fight, um, um, fight choreography business based out of L.A. called 8711. Uh, if you were to look up their website, they are responsible for every single high-end action movie. If it was The Rock or if it was Marvel or if it was John Wick, they were in charge of all of the fighting and all of the complicated. I mean, they are the, literally the best of the best. And um, so most of the people that are on set, even if it has nothing to do with stunt, is a stunt. It, I mean, it's a, it's a stunt perf uh, performer's dream. Uh, stunt guys all over. They're always There's always a couple guys throwing each other around in the in the shadows and the wings practicing some sort of a sequence that they're going to shoot in a couple days. So it's all tons of testosterone. If you don't get along with stunt guys, if you don't know how to behave or keep, you know, keep your nose out of everybody's business, that sort of thing, you're not going to get too far. You're going to drive everybody crazy and you're not going to be invited back. Yeah. Um, and, and Chad is, comes from that. So it's all, it's, I mean, it's stunt. It's a, uh, it's a stunt unit times 10. 
Um, so you just, it, it, it's tentative at best in the beginning. You keep your mouth shut. You make sure that before they look for you, you're there. Um, be super, super duper professional. Uh, they're very hesitant to let you do anything because they've got stunt guys. They don't want you touching anything. Um, you know, they don't know who you are. You're just some charming, nice guy that showed up one day. Uh, they don't know your military background. They don't know that you know how to do a lot of this stuff and could be extra helpful. You just hopefully, hopefully you work long enough where you find yourself in a situation where you can do really well and impress them and they let you do more. They invite you to hang around more and then hopefully you're accepted. I definitely felt that. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they couldn't be more professional, uh, super cutting edge. My God, we could spend another whole day just talking on all the set pieces in John Wick 3. Um, you know, the first third of the movies in the first first third of the movie all in rain, you know, watching them orchestrating and painting with that brush unique to a lot of the projects I've worked on have never been so wet before in my life. The horses, the motorcycles, the ninjas. I mean, these are huge set pieces, big portions of the movie. I mean, days and days of uh, rehearsals and watching them coordinate all this. But just, you know, standing literally feet away from from Chad, it was uh, amazing. You know, people pay for that sort of education. I was lucky enough to be paid to participate in that education. Um, you know, keep your mouth shut. Eventually you can help them out, be charming, develop, you know, somewhat of a casual relationship. It was, uh, you know, they were they were the best. So as, as someone who is standing in for Keanu Reeves, I'm sure you had um, something of a professional relationship with him. And we've asked the other people who've worked with him to confirm if he's really as nice as the internet makes him out to be. I, I can, I can absolutely agree that he is one of the nicest, most professional people I've ever worked with. That's absolutely. what people say. Absolutely. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. He's become, uh, he's become like the internet's dad of just being such a warm, welcoming presence while portraying such a, a mean murderous man. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it, yeah, it's amazing that he plays such a vicious guy because he is. He's such a soft-spoken, uh, soft-spoken guy. It uh, it it projects well though on screen. One one of the questions I uh wonder now, uh, given your military background, was is there, uh, maybe on this movie specifically or another movie? I mean, you spoke uh, briefly on uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, sure. where you were able to take your background into that, and that was able to sort of creatively feed into the movie um in some sort of substantial way um i don't know i mean i guess in the context of what we're talking about as a stand and double um you'd be surprised at how despite most american men running around as kids with guns playing cops and robbers how very few people look convincing holding one mm. um when you work at, at this level i take these things very seriously and, the, and these creative geniuses in all their different areas take it extraordinarily seriously. So if you're blessed enough to be invited to walk through that door frame with a gun in your hand, point it up, and you're going to project the silhouette of John Wick for these guys to kind of paint their masterpiece, you better know how to hold a gun. Um, so the all of the basic military training that I had, my military bearing, if you will, I've seen that's actually carried me through. Because um, again, most of the guys that lose their gig is, you know, they've They've somehow found themselves in this role and then they're given a gun or they're given something, you know, you jump in that car and take off, um, you know, mm -hmm. little things like that that are, you know, not everybody, especially being in New York City, not everybody can even drive a car. Most people don't even have a driver's license. Um, there's very really? few people that have served in the military. You know, every once in a while you'll see a, poli a retired police officer or something like that. But um, but that really did. I mean, again, it's 
you know, I'm, I'm in some small way in the roughest sketch possible. I'm helping to embody the character and, you know, they're, they're making creative decisions based on what I look like when I come through that doorway or come over that wall or, you know, get in the car and take off or, you know, and while that sounds like it might be a little bit taking it too far, that's exactly how every, that's exactly how far everyone's taking it when they're on set. And uh, I think the results speak for themselves. I mean, the movies are amazing. So uh, it says on, we looked at IMDb and it says that you worked on um, movies with Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan. And those are some of our favorite directors. So we sure. were just wondering what it was like and if you got to interact with them at all, because I'm sure at least we'd be starstruck. Sure. Oh, of course. Uh, well, the, the first film that I ever worked on after Royal Pains, two weeks after working on that episode, I got a phone call from the same stunt guy that was on that episode to work on the dark knight rises oh my god so, uh, <laughs> what the, that's one of my favorite movies right. oh i was i was doomed i my careers immediately my career aspirations pivoted once i got that phone call so i was one of the police the gotham city police officers that were locked underground and were and, and participated awesome. in the fight <laughs> on wall street um so we were able to go out to i forget where it was robert moses uh, airfield out i think that's what it's called out by on the way to far rockaway new york anyway Went out there for fight training with stunt guys for a couple of days. They divided us into Bane's mercenaries and the GCPD. And we went through a very, you know, simple, coordinated, you know. And, um, yeah, well, if you've seen the film, that's exactly what it was like. Three days in southern Manhattan. Lit, I mean, just amazing. So, anyway, so uh, Christopher Nolan, very, very hands-on in the middle of the crowd. I mean, chatted with him a couple of times as he chatted with hundreds of different guys at different moments you know, moving these IMAX cameras around during these huge fight scenes. Um, he had the trench coat and the, and the scarf and it was part of my French was fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> rightfully team. so. And you never want to do anything else ever again. Once you have that gig, uh, Steven Spielberg, um, my God, one of the best moments of my life. Um, uh, I've been, uh, honored to work on three of his last New York projects. The first one was uh, bridge of spies. Oh, that's a great movie. Excellent. Um, I again, Jeremy Marks, as I previously noted, he 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 worked on all three of these Steven Spielberg movies. So it just reinforces how important relationships are. If you're asked to go to ninja school, make sure you do a good job. You might just you might just punch your ticket to go work for Steven Spielberg. Um, <laughs> so I did a bunch of things. I drove uh, vintage cars on set as a precision driver for them. I was a stand-in for a few of the, um, you know, uh, not so important characters. Um, and uh, if you watch the end of the movie, I was um, very featured uh, with Tom Hanks at the end when he's on the subway car going home. Uh, they have this uh, text overlay in the last scene. It's a long lingering shot that explains what happened to Gary Powers after, he, you know, at the end of the movie. And, um, as a bookend to the text, Tom Hanks is on the right and I am on the left. So it's a nice two minute lingering shot of Tom Hanks and I riding somewhere on a subway train before it fades to black and says directed by Steven Spielberg. So that was fun. Uh, the second movie I worked on was The Post. Uh, same sort of thing, stood in, um, played a number of different roles, uh, worked a number of days on that. And then finally, I was uh, lucky enough to be a precision driver on West Side Story. It just oh, that's the new new one. That's oh the my new god! It's not even out yet. Not even out yet. Uh, just before all this nonsense with the pandemic started, did um, it finish filming? It did finish filming. Hmm. We 
finished all all the filming, uh, and that was extraordinary. Um, as a precision driver, I got to drive a number of different um, antique vintage cars in the middle of the scenes. Uh, worked 20 days on it, for God's sake. Um, you know, sweating my ass off in Manhattan, Spielberg running around making this amazing remake of an amazing original movie. And yeah, I was lucky enough with Spielberg to each project I worked on, I was able to book work on more days in more interesting roles um you know worked a few in the first project a couple more in the second and this last one i worked so many i, I you know i couldn't believe it wow that's, you're that's you're crazy me- <laughs> you're meeting all the famously nice celebrities then you've breathed the same air as tom hanks i i, I have and he's another one um uh as i've told a lot of people so a lot of these celebrities especially actors many of them you know there are some that are transformative meryl streep's one daniel day lewis is another but generally the personalities that come through in the roles are kind of how the people are. Tom Hanks is a very, very sweet, nice guy. Um, Steven Spielberg, sweet, nice guy. Uh, some of the other actors and actresses that may be more intense, maybe perceived to be a little bit diff- more difficult, uh, they probably are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just was, you know, again, uh, these are people that I grew up uh, idolizing just like so many. It would I would have stood in line for hours at a car show to meet them, let alone work with them. And so, now you're getting paid. And, and, and to get paid, again. Which don't, makes it much better. Don't tell them. I would do it for free. <laughs> I would pay to do it, but please don't. Ed, edit that out. Don't tell them that. Of course. Uh, you, we'll you'll have to for- post. You'll have to forgive me for this, but um, Aaron Sorkin is my absolute favorite screenwriter. Yeah. Um, I assume the movie you worked on him with was on Molly's Game? Uh, no, actually. I just got done wrapped up. A, oh, a, his what? new movie, the Chicago movie. Tri- yes, Trial of Chicago 7. A wonderfully intimate uh, dozen or so days on that set, locked away in the courtroom. I was a one of the uh, uh, court bailiffs. Um, so I got to be literally in the, you know, back of the room, listening to listening and watching and participating, stood in for a number of the leads. Um, oh God, how can I not remember his name? Um, anyway, there were half a dozen six foot tall lead actors sitting around a, a, a dais in a courtroom that they would have me shuffle around for. So again, it was just to get to be in the, in the, um, in the graces of not only Aaron Sorkin, but Franklin Jello was the judge and he would he, you know, just he, just hearing him chit chat about the weather or the football game uh, with such gravitas was a treat. Let alone the, the star power. I mean, uh, if you if you look on some of the press releases, you'll see the cast. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was insane. Um, you've worked in many different departments. Like you spoke about, you uh, like you've you've been a stunt person. You've been a photo double. You've been standing. You've been an actor. You have your own. Um, video consultation site that I saw. Um, yes. And I was wondering uh, whether there was a specific department that you gravitate towards most, like whether it's acting or any of the other things I mentioned, um, or if it's just all sort of different for you and well, equally fulfilling. Your, your question was which gravitate, which department do I gravitate for? Whichever department will pay me <laughs> and book me for the day. That said, I think I'm you know, there's this traditional vision of what it is to work in the arts, especially film and television. Ideally, like yourselves, you go off to Rutgers, you get your film degree. Maybe you, right. maybe you go out to L.A., you do some, you know, some developmental classes at USC. You know, you, you get in with a good group of guys and you, and you do the festival circuit. You know, that's a traditional way. Maybe you go to Yale Drama. You do, you do it that way. Well, most of us don't. Most of us find our way, find ourselves, we find ourselves in it. 
and you find your own way. Um, there's a lot of creatives that just are generally creative. You know, most of the people I work at that are doing props or sound or lighting, they're also writing an album, writing a book, writing a screenplay. They're, you know, it's an amazing group of people that are doing all a number of things. Uh, a little bit late in life, especially when I found myself working in an art gallery in my 30s, that's really when I had a creative awakening and really started experimenting and doing all kinds of stuff. So I wasn't trying to be an actor. I wasn't trying to be a stunt guy. I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just trying to, my goal was to get on set and to spend as much time bothering as many people asking them, what do you do? You know, and if I see him for the second or third time, I'll ask him even more. And just, you know, I got my creative education that maybe I'd never I didn't get to go to USC film school. I kind of have done that for myself over, albeit a much longer period. But, you know, I'd say I got a pretty interesting film and television education over the last 10 years. Only worked I, with Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan. It's so you're doing crazy. fine. <laughs> sure. But again, it's, it's you know, uh, you guys are a few years younger than me. I, I'm part of the gig economy. You know, I'm hustling around. If a, if, a, if a low budget commercial wants to hire me as an art director, I'll do that. And I'll, but I can't, I'm not available on Thursday cause I'm standing in for, you know, Keanu Reeves or whatever it is. Right. Um, they'll hire me to do a, you know, be a sound assistant on a commercial, but you know, if they'll hire me to be an FBI agent on whatever the new Chris Nolan movie or something like that. So it's just, you know, I, I would love to, 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 to have done the, uh, you know, the John Wick, uh, weapons focused action movies 24 7 just doesn't work that way this is kind of a tangential question but do you have to learn dialogue of the actor you're standing in for like do they have you like reading lines it depends i'd say that you know most of the time unfortunately most they're in an effort just to breeze through and get things done stand in you're just you're you just you don't need to, you need to be aware of the dialogue because you need to know what's happening in the scene mm-hmm. and you know what he's doing but you didn't necessarily need to know it there's an old-fashioned way of being a stand-in <clears throat> and i've occasionally been exposed to this now in the early days i wasn't prepared and i sure as hell got prepared as a, the old-fashioned way of being a stand-in was whoever you were the stand-in was you would help them rehearse nowadays everybody's got so many resources and there's, you know, they've got their own trailer. They've got their helicopter. They've got four or five people that are helping them with their dialogue and their lines. So they're not usually using the stand-in in that way, but there have been times where <clears throat> on John Wick three, perfect example, it wasn't Keanu. It was the amazing Ian McShane who played Winston, who before uh, shooting a scene on the roof of the continental grabbed me and said, Hey kid, would you mind running some lines with me? So I've read the lines of, um, John Wick, and he read the lines of his character Winston, um, and Jesus Christ, amazing! You know, um, can't believe it. Uh, I wish that happened more than it did. Eh, not so much. You know, there, um, there were I had was a stand-in for Ethan Hawke on a low-budget um, indie called Ten Thousand Saints, and he was extraordinarily busy. Uh, the other actors needed a lot of rehearsal time. So I actually, it only took two or three days into that gig where I knew, my God, I got to memorize this dialogue because all the other leads are going to expect me to be Ethan Hawke until he shows up at the last minute and does his amazing magic trick of just knowing all the lines of everybody. And then as soon as he's done, he, you know, so um, 
yeah, at, at times there's there's a reason for you to know it. Most of the time, I'd say it's not a requirement. Some guys probably do it for years and never have to know a line of dialogue. They just generally know what the character's supposed to do and, and go through the motions. Um, but the few times that you're asked to do it, if you're prepared, it's a lot of fun. We're also um, living in somewhat dystopian times, and we were wondering how the coronavirus uh, has been treating you since this whole thing. And, and how down. it's affected your ability to work. Sure. Uh, interesting question. Uh, it, it certainly put my entire professional life on pause, as it does for film and television. Uh, I still pay my SAG dues, as they're requiring us to pay them. Uh, all of all, as far as New York goes, all of production's been shut down since March, and uh, with no foreseeable start in the future. Uh, I, Frank, I think anybody would tell you they don't know. I certainly don't know. I, I have very little confidence that I'll be returning to set anytime soon. Personally, instead of filing for unemployment, I immediately went out and got a job as a photographer. Nice. Somewhat related to you know the creative, but just almost as a survival instinct because I just knew as even during the best of times, it was such a fragile existence that man, when times are, are going to get questionable, you know, it, yeah, I, I just, you know, you're looking at personal survival. So anyway, I per, right now, yeah, everything's still shut down. Do I foresee eventually will it get back to normal? Whatever the new normal is, you bet they're going to be cranking out Netflix blockbusters by the dozens before you know it. Mm. Um, Right now, I don't know how it affects us. For instance, I know that there's been a few um, projects around the world that have started again, one of which is Matrix uh, 4. So I got some sense of how they're handling those things. Things like stand-ins and doubles, uh, they're, not, they're, they're questioning the use of those. They're trying to minimize the people on set. They're probably going to be asking more of the lead actors and actresses instead of, you know, instead of using the stand-ins, if they can cut them, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the sort of thing that they're going to break the rules and not, and not do that. Um, you know, whenever they have a FBI task force or some core of a SWAT unit or something that they normally would cast a half a dozen of us to stand behind Colin Farrell to go kick the door in. I can't see that they're going to do that. At least not in the next year or two. They're either going to, you know, my, what I've heard is combination of them just re, rewriting things so that they don't use so many people instead of him being with the unit maybe he takes down the door by himself um it's just again it limits all those little magic moments that you're able to find yourself and it puts you in a situation where man things have to work out so well for me and so i have to be so lucky and fortunate for me to be able to carve a living out for myself uh yeah if you just go back into that hopefully many of my friends some are struggling more than others all of us were kind of gigging it in a number of different creative areas so hopefully you can still somewhat retain a few of them so that god forbid when they do call a year from now and say hey john wick four mm. can, can you come in for a couple of days you know you want to be available you want to be around you want to be still in the game um it, it's scary to think that, that might not be the case I, I think i'm okay right now um a lot of us aren't you know i i yeah i it's a tough time. It's a tough time for a lot of people, uh, and certainly for this business. But um, movies will movies will uh, movies will survive. Yeah, it's it, it's exciting to think about the boom post quarantine of of content making up for lost time. Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, my God, there's been so much. Con if you just based it on Netflix alone, they had made they were cranking out so much content prior to this. 
that you there won't really be a perceived loss of content like oh my god there's no new shows there's so much in the can that when they do i mean the technology the way that they're the studios are being built now the streamlining of everything i mean when they do when things are trust me when they give a go so the batman can start shooting in london again it's insane how quickly they can get everything up and run um, hopefully everyone hasn't had to transition to other careers and other industries to try to survive this that's what you know all of us if you're if you're a hugely successful department head in any major television studio, you'll probably be okay. You'll probably just, you'll, you'll be waiting for their call when it's time for work. The rest of us, we're all gigging in other places, trying to hold on, you know? So may we all be able to, uh, you know, for all of us that kill ourselves to participate in the art form that we love, hopefully we can hang in there and, uh, and be on set another day. Very well put. So we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much to Vince Hickman, our guest. He was a stand-in on our uh, film of choice this week, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Uh, We thank him for coming and talking with us. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. All right, Parth, bring us bring us back from the interview. Talk about how great it was. Man, that was such a great interview with Vince Hickman. Um, I think so, I'm too. Sorry, I didn't know how to bring us back in other than that. Um, but yeah, he, he was a great guy. Um, he, he was just a wealth of interesting stories, honestly. We talked for maybe like 10, 15 minutes after the podcast ended. And we could have talked for the next 72 hours if time permitted but we we had other plans and he probably had to like sleep or tend to his family um maybe or maybe not but another feature of this uh podcast that we've been trying out has been a reading the one-star reviews off of Amazon.com for movies that we like, and it's a fun juxtaposition to hear people's complaints. So, Parth, do you mind if I just have at it? Please. Yeah, these people felt rather strongly. Uh, I'll read them, and then we'll discuss, and then we'll probably move on. Description. Terrible! Exclamation point. The five-star ratings are fake. Nothing makes sense about this movie. No plot. Opens with him bloody and running. And that's pretty much the movie. Really like the first two movies, but this one is shameful. I feel robbed. Description. No thanks. I guess I grew out of the action genre. Completely cheesy. Fight scene. Fight scene. Weird wooden conversation. Fight scene. Maybe I'm just biased due to my watching of shows such as Ozark and The Good Doctor recently. (sighs) Description. Skip it. Content. Long, repetitive, boring, plus terrible acting from Keanu Reeves. The story's nonsensical, dumb, etc. John Wick is invincible, so it seems. For example, John Wick gets shot four times in the chest and survives a fall off a high-rise building, landing on a concrete. This this is a type of nonsense you're going to see. Next one. Not enough time. Oh, well, I'll read it in then. I ordered this thinking I had a week to watch it, and I was going to while doing paperwork this weekend, and when I went to watch it, it had expired. You only have 24 hours to watch it now. 
seems like a ripoff to me. Maybe because I don't have time to sit down and watch a whole movie at once. But probably just won't rent anymore if that's all the time I get. I'll just go to Redbox from now on. Didn't get to see anything but the first five minutes. LOL. That's a wasted $6. I like how this person didn't even hate the movie. They were just upset that they didn't get to watch it. But it makes no sense that they would give it a one-star review for that reason. It's their own fault. It's their own fault. But I do agree that, like, renting a movie and then only having 24 hours to watch it is absurd. I think iTunes gives you 48 hours now. As, um, as does as does Ver- Verizon, which was my predicament, because I started it one night, and then the next day I had other plans, but I was like, well, I guess I have to cancel them because I'm certainly not going to pay another $6.00 to rent it again so i had to make it work in my 48 hour span moving on cool if you're 13 years old i've seen the other john wicks so i pretty much knew what to expect but this one was an over-the-top bloodbath that no doubt the target audience was 13 to 19 male demographic like watching a graphic live action video game and you could absolutely predict every plot line if you're drunk or high, maybe, but sober, dot, dot, dot. Ominous. Last one. Good movie, but poor viewing experience. I rented the 4K quality. Did not get full 4K quality. The movie kept sputtering and rendering at low quality. Pixelated and grainy, despite having fast internet. Truly disappointed by this, should have gone with Redbox. I have really taken a liking to the reviews that have nothing to do with the movie, and it's just about the conditions surrounding their viewing experience um uh, another consensus was people who thought that this one was like upsettingly violent which kind of made no sense to me because i was well it is out of place in the john wick franchise to be violent so but it's no more violent than the past two and if you've come this Uh, far i i I don't think I don't think you should be offended by anything you see in this movie if you are fine with the other two movies. It's like watching like Jurassic Park three and being like, "Ugh, I hate the amount of dinosaurs in this one." It's like it's what you signed up for, yeah. and there also I like don't really understand the people who are like, "Oh, I loved one and two, and now this," because I think this one is I don't want to. I mean, we'll, we'll get well, it. Well, let's 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 hold off on that. Let 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 me let me give a, the budget and box office of this movie, please, if if you would let me. Um, the budget of this movie is about twice that of the uh, sequel's budget. It's got a budget of seventy five million dollars, and it made three hundred and twenty six point seven million dollars worldwide. I read uh, the fun fact online that forty five million dollars were spent on advertising, which is a lot of money. Yep. Parth, do you have forty five million dollars? Not on me, no. Do you think you'll ever um, ac- like acquire like that uh, amount of wealth in your lifetime? Once I've crashed enough economies, sure. So you're gaining money by crashing these economies? I thought you were just like watching the world burn. Trent, you want to get into the production history? Yeah, if you don't mind. Um, so the production history. Um, it, I more so just have some fun facts this week that I uh, exerted. Um Okay, 
Uh, it has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was mm-hmm. considered the... Rotten Tomatoes voted as the second best action movie of 2019 behind a movie called Shadow that I had never heard of. Um, oh, I've never heard of that. According to Keanu, the film's title, Parabellum, was taken from the famous 4th century Roman military quote, uh, pardon my pronunciation, because... I, I guess it's in Roman or whatever language. It's in, they... it's in Latin. It's there in Latin. you go. Did see, you not know that Romans spoke Latin? Um, see vis possum parabellum, which means if you want peace, prepare for war. Um, no need to question my lack of knowledge about the Latin language. It's uh, it's dead. People move on. Learn. I took, uh, it, I took it for like five years. Wow, I bet you did so good on the SAT. You got to learn about root words. (laughs) In an interview with Jimmy Fallon, Halle Berry said, I broke three ribs in rehearsal. The action scene featuring... Also, this is going to sound insane. But when I watched the movie, I was like, is that Halle Berry? And And then I just, like, moved on. And then today when I was reading about it and it said Halle Berry was in this movie, I was like, that can't be right. But uh, she was. She was just totally a part of it. She was. A, she had a role. She acted, and uh, she's the whole in nine yards. Yeah, she's in she the final. Actually cut. appeared in it. The action scene featuring NBA basketball player Boban, oof, um, Marjanovic was inspired by the Bruce Lee film Game of Death, where Lee fights NBA basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, nice. I liked that scene a lot. And that was a one. That was a big man, but I didn't know that he was a basketball star. He plays for the Mavericks. Just an FYI. I don't. What if? What is his last name? Uh, where do? You, is he like Russian? I think so, given his accent. So Keanu was nominated. Um, this came out in 2019. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Keanu is nominated for the at the at the Razzies was given the Razzie Redemption um, uh, nomination, but he lost to Eddie Murphy, uh, who won for Dolomite Is My Name. So the Razzie Redemption Award is basically for people yeah. that have been nominated for worst actor or actress in the past, but have since come out with a good movie. So. I did some more research, and Keanu was nominated for Worst Actor six times for... Do you want me to name the movies? Please. Johnny Menomic, uh, A Walk in the Clouds, Chain Reaction, Hardball, and Sweet November. And uh, But he, he's never won, which is, I guess, a good thing. Um, but the four... But, but the people who have won... Worst actor several times are Sylvester Stallone, who's won four times, three times Adam Sandler and Kevin Costner, and two times Pauly Shore and John Travolta. Um, but yeah, we're happy for Keanu that he is respected in the eyes of the Golden Raspberry Awards. Seems like a nice guy. Uh, Parth, take us away. Um, well, given that I am the John Wick connoisseur of us two, I guess I'll start with my initial thoughts. Yeah, you're self-pronounced. I mean, you don't have a plaque that says that or anything. Okay. Do you? Well, um, why don't you come to my room? Find that out. 
Uh, well, there's a pandemic going on. Please don't come to my room. Okay, I'll stay away from your room. Besides, for when I come over tonight and look at you through the slits in your window and just um, release a lot of pent-up aggression, just looking at you from a safe distance would really relax me. It's, it, it's therapeutic, oddly. Some people do yoga. Some people watch Parth sleep. But tell, tell us about your initial thoughts. I saw this movie in theaters, and I was a very, very big fan of it. Since theaters, I've seen it a few times, and I really like it. I think it's my favorite move in the movie in the series for action, mm-hmm. and it's um, probably the worst movie in the th- in the series for its coherence. Really? Not coherence. More, I, I think it, it just it drags in the middle um, the most out of all three. Um, but I, I enjoy it probably the most. All right. This was my first time. And like I mentioned, I watched it over. I watched it in halves over two nights. Thanks, Verizon. Um, but I don't know if it just caught me in the right mood. But I sure as hell liked it a lot more than the second one. And really? I, th- I thought the action was great. I thought in the second one, I complained a lot how the story had like it kind of just felt purposeless. But even though this like the plot, even though the plot of this film was more or less just an extension of the last one, I was totally on board. I was like, it's straightforward. I mean, I mean that maybe that's unfair to call it straightforward, but Everyone's no, trying. I, to kill- I would say it's very straightforward. It, Every- it is not a complicated movie. It's just like which it, is it's, fine. It's but- from point A to point B to point C, and there are a lot of steps like to arrive at the eventual destination. Um, but it's it, it it's very linear. Um, yeah. And the like you mentioned, the action sequences were great, and the cast was even better um and well let's let start start uh what do you think of the direction like i i, I assume well, you you think it improved well it's the same director and the same writer as the past two um, well there's three there's three more writers on this movie really yeah no um derek cole said i think the story's by him and he's one of the writers for the screenplay but they got uh three other two or three other people for the screenplay I think you are more equipped to discuss the direction, because I am just a a, a lowly viewer, and you are the uh, the the, con- the connoisseur. I think this is a. I think this is not as big of a jump in direction from like the first one to the second one. I think this one's a pretty much like mm-hmm. a a solid ex- like not in a bad way. Like the second movie was like pretty awesome in its direction, mm-hmm. and I think this has it again it's like an extension of the second one i think the first act of this movie is the best john wick material ever um where he's just on the run mm-hmm. so i think i think and then i kind of the, like that's like john wick at like its purest form even though it's like in yeah. the third movie it's just like it's so high-paced and we're meeting all these different zany characters from the elaborate world that we've fallen in love with and there's some badass action sequences in between, and um, yeah, we watch them kill people, and it's it's just fun. It's 
wholesome American entertainment. I would agree. Um, and I mean, I guess ju- there's not really much I have to say on like the direction, the production design, or any like technical. It's it's all, or even like acting. It's it's all like, yeah, no, it's it's all still great. Um, I think more so where I have anything to say is just on story terms. Tell me. Um, and it's just, I mean, I guess spoilers, but uh, it, it's just the Morocco portion of the movie is where... Is Morocco where he goes to meet Halle Berry? Yeah. Got it. I just feel like that portion of the movie is like... Uh... I'm kind of it's, it... I'm kind of blanking on what happened during that. He goes to Morocco, meets Halle Berry, and then he, he meets Halle Berry, and then... Um, Halle Berry's like got her dogs, and then Halle, he and Halle Berry go to that one guy um, to get like. Was the were the dogs CGI'd? No, those are real. Um, they like trained the whole those time? dogs. Yeah, no, for real. Badass. They they so what they did was they had trained the dogs for several several months, and then it was they ended up only shooting for four days with the dogs because of how much production or pre production they'd done, mm-hmm. and they trained them so well. Um, Because the thing with dogs that was interesting is you can't get, like, dogs that actually know how to, like, kill people to, like, fake kill people. Mm -hmm. So they have to train them how to fake kill people, Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of an opposite process from what they do, like, for the people in John Wick, where, like, they get people that are, like, actually, like, military background and, like, actual stunt work and everything like that. Yeah. uh, And then train people how to fake do it. It was, it's kind of backwards. How to look like they're killing people. Yeah. So um, I, th- I think the action is all great. It's just I think it's the it's the most egregious example in this movie where it's like things are happening, um, but there's not necessarily like a flow. But that's not something do- I picked up on until a later viewing. Do dogs like wear bulletproof like do do police dogs and military dogs wear bulletproof vests or was that just like a plot convenience? So. No, I think so. Damn. Because when the second, when that dog got shot, I was like, wow, this, uh, they're, they're really playing the greatest hits of like, Oh, I wrote in my notes, another dead dog. Um, but he ended I'm up gl- not being dead. Yeah. But I kind of, I thought it was a badass like villain moment to be like, Hey, give me your dog. And then she was like, huh, no. And then he was like, ha, huh, no one can have it. Um, yeah. Another thing I wrote in my notes was, so throughout this series, I've noticed a pattern. And it's that in like pivotal, like narrative moments when like John Wick is like on, he's nowhere left to turn. He'll go to some character and be like, I'm in a dire situation and I need you to give me a weapon. And then they give him, like, uh, a gun with, like, a limited amount of bullets. Whether it be in the second one where he gets a gun with seven bullets. Or in this one, I think he gets a gun with, like, one bullet or something like that. Um, And then what kind of bothers me is that it seems like he's going to have to, like, work under those constraints. Like, he's going to have to kill all these guys with just, like, that limited... With that constraint. But instead... He just, like, 
kills someone immediately, uses all the available bullets, and then moves on to the next weapon. And I know that that's practical, but it just makes the buildup of making yeah. this weapon seem important. Like, it just throws it out the window. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is also a movie that suffers from exhaustion by the end. Um, in, in what regard? In that I think all of the action is incredibly well done. It's obvious they put a lot of hard work into it. I just think it's too much. Like it, it, like by the third, what I found is that if you watch the third act on its own, it's great. If you watch the first act on its own, it's great. If you watch the second act on its own, it's also great. So you're just saying the, the cohesion? Yeah, it's like, I just think that it's, it's like too much. And I think it should have been pared down. Um, I, I think. I think there's there's a pressure they feel to keep increasing the body count. Upping and the I, ante. Yeah, and I feel like that's the wrong way to go about things because it doesn't really matter like how many people you kill. It matters how you kill them. Yeah. So it, like it's quality over quantity, people. Yeah, so like me seeing like him like waste a bunch of guys with like a Glock or something isn't gonna be that cool, honestly. Unless he, like, does it in a really interesting way. And yeah. I think this suffers from, like, him just wasting people. Like, a lot of people. Like, really quickly. At this point, there are two top-tier action movies of him just, like, kind of killing people. So to do it a third time around, you really have to come up... You really have to be inventive. Or it's just going to feel like you're you're replaying like which 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 they are they are incredibly invent like they're really like I like this is the most va- the action is the most varied in this movie I agree um, and which is part of the reasons why I probably enjoy it the most um, I just th- think that there's just way too like I think that that like shootout at the end to hold the continental. Mm-hmm. It goes on for so long, and it's all good. That's the problem. Um, I, I, it's all well made. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what this means for the movie, but it it's like I remember sitting down and and uh, and viewing the film and actively enjoying every second. But now, when you're talking about these different shootouts, I can't recollect what you're referring to. So yeah, which is I think John Wick. Um, its best parts are its specificity. Mm-hmm. You know, you you remember the knife fight. You remember the pencil scene. You remember, you know, like you remember the specifics of things. I, I you don't like really remember him like just killing all of these people right after another. Like the only and, thing that comes to mind from this movie is like, oh, the fight in the library, which did something entirely new, and the fight in the weapons store, which like introduced throwing knives, which was exciting. Um, but the rest of the stuff where he's just using a pistol or an assault rifle, I'm like, been there, done that. Yeah, and but I mean, I honestly don't have much to say, other than I think it's. I feel like I'm shitting on this movie a lot. I really, really like this movie. Um, I think it's the ten tiers above every other action movie series that comes out other than the mission impossible franchise which is very different type of action mm-hmm. um i think like uh, in terms of big but like bigger budget uh hollywood action movies this is the best of the best uh or mid-budget action movies i guess um i just hope because it sets it up for a fourth one yeah which is in I, production i was gonna make a comment about that oh it's in production now 
Well, it was. Well, it was in pre-production because um, Keanu is filming Matrix Four. So do you do you think that John Wick Four is going to be the last? I don't know because so uh, Chad Stahelski has said Keanu doesn't want to kill the guy because he really really likes playing him. Mm-hmm. But so he just wants to leave the window open for him to return. Yeah, but Chad Stahelski doesn't want him to have a happy ending because he his whole thing is that i mean this happens a lot in the movie of consequence like when you play in this world you are in the world and the world will screw you over yeah rules and consequences was the thesis statement of this film yeah so his whole thing is he can't have a happy ending because he keeps going deeper into hell so uh, the problem i have then is you can't keep having him have it end on a cliffhanger each movie because Cause, at it, some point, there's going to be nowhere left to turn. It, especially or, already at this point, he either has I don't to, know like, where I don't know beyond him like killing everybody in the high table. I don't know what you can do with this movie with the series that would remain interesting. Because and I don't know how much. I mean, Keanu's like in his fifties. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how much longer he can physically k- handle all of that. Yeah, I didn't like how like that. During this movie, especially in like the latter half, I was like, it, I, I was like, this is just setting up the next movie. I was, I was like, I know we're not going to reach a conclusion, um, but I like that detracted from the experience for me because it meant that there isn't going to be like a definitive ending. So it took away all the suspense because I was just like, all right. And then I don't like it when they leave it in the middle of like a plot point, kind of like they did. And mm-hmm. like we we know the next step is he's going to go after the high table, but it basically just like stopped like m- mid scene, and then we're gonna have to wait two years to pick up where we left off. Yeah, I just think um. I'm excited for the fourth one. I just don't think it should continue on. Because I think that? they need to know. Yeah, I think they need to know when to stop. Well, um, yeah, I, I think if you keep going needlessly, it only detracts from how much we like the current ones. Yeah. And, like, it's going to get harder for him as he gets older. And it's going to get... It, it, it can only be go in either the things become worse action-wise or things become, like, fast and furious and, like, ridiculous. Mm. Which, which like, John Wick has always been pretty good about having, like, fantastical elements somewhat, um, but being fairly realistic. And I don't want them to... And I love the Fast and Furious franchise for what it's worth, but it's a different type of movie, you know? Mission Impossible isn't going to have the same. It it it's not the same style as John Wick. It's not the same style as Fast and Furious. It's not you know. So I just want them to know when to stop. Is my it, basic thing. That's an interesting point you make about basically being between a rock and a hard place with Keanu not wanting him to die, um, so he could reprise his role, and Chad Sahelski saying. I don't want 
a happy ending when pretty much the only thing left is for him to just continue as an assassin like for the rest of his days yeah and he and, can again like those are his only two op- there is no other option he either dies or has a happy ending and if so and if it yeah if it ends with him just like still like employed like doing his usual thing it's going to feel really abrupt it's going to feel like there was no complete arc you're just gonna be like yeah. well he, he ended up back where he started yeah um well do you want to assign a rating to this movie so rating wise um i would say that the overall viewing experience was the most pleasurable but it was the threequel so I, it uh, betrays my entire belief system to put it above the original rating-wise, which I gave a 7.5. But I'm feeling daring. I'm going to give oh this my. I'm going to give this an 8. Um, just because I thought we're twins. I, I thought it brought a lot new to the table and it paid tribute to all the things. I liked from before um and 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 yourself apparently we're twins not only physically but rating wise yeah I would get this an eight um because I think it's again it's the most enjoyable action wise out of the series but it's the least I think it has the least going on for it um narratively um, yeah. Which, like, I, I think that, and and that I, says a lot since we both thought it was the best, and it was probably the weakest story. Yeah, no, and I, I again, it's still a good movie. Um, I just, it makes me a little cautious of what they do with the fourth one, but that's a story for another time, I guess. Well put. So, thank you so much to our guest Vince Hickman, Keanu Reeves's stand-in. And photo double, he was uh, wonderful in the interview, and we appreciate his time. Um, Parth, Thanks, tell us about listening. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Tell tell us about what's our next episode. Do we know? I don't know. Um, well, we'll thank- figure it out, guys. Uh, bear with us as a team. That's all, all right, for now. Well, see you guys. <laughs>